Hello, everyone, and welcome to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Tara Stingley, with Klein Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. On the program, we span the globe with updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. On today's episode, we'll be discussing Iowa's laws with regard to drug testing in the workplace. Joining us on the program is Ben Roach, shareholder with Nymaster Good. Ben, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Thanks for joining us. So, Ben, you and I both practice in employment law in the Midwest, where there is a patchwork of laws addressing permissible drug testing of employees and the limits on that testing, and the increase in the number of employers operating on a multi-jurisdictional basis, as well as the increase in employees working remotely in different states than their employer's headquarters, has made it all the more important to understand the nuances of these laws. So let's talk about Iowa. Iowa's drug testing laws have certainly been the subject of a variety of litigation, with the Iowa Supreme Court even calling Iowa's drug testing rules Byzantine. Why is that? Sure, I I think it starts with the fact that the statute, if you print it off, even in small font, it's about 10 pages single-spaced. So there's a lot to it. And the statute is really comprehensive in terms of governing when you can test, what you have to have in a written policy to test, how you test, and then even what happens after testing. And if the employer missteps anywhere along any of those requirements, there can be a liability. And so I think it's a difficult statute to comply with for employers. The burden is on the employer to prove compliance. And so for those reasons, I think it is really difficult for employers. So walk us through some of the basic rules for drug testing in Iowa. What does that look like? Yeah, sure. As an initial matter, you have to have a written policy. So if you don't have a written policy in place, there is no option to test. And then the policy has to specify in which circumstances you want to test. There's five available in Iowa. It has to identify what substances you're going to test for. And then there are very specific notice requirements for when there is a positive test including even how that notice has to be sent, which is you know, certified mail return receipt. And so under what circumstances can employers conduct a drug test of employees in Iowa? Yep. So they can do pre-employment for anyone or any facility, and then they can do reasonable suspicion. Generally, we'll call it when there's observable phenomena or signs of impairment where the employer may think or have a reasonable basis to think there's impairment. There's post-accident. It has to be an actual accident. It can't be like a repetitive motion injury. And so resulting from an accident, if there's either estimated $1,000 in property damage or an OSHA 300 recordable injury, then there's post-rehabilitation testing. If you have an employee who's been given a second chance, who's in drug or alcohol rehab, you can test as part of that process. And then finally, there's, they call it unannounced or essentially the equivalent of random testing. And are those rules different for private employers versus public employers? The Byzantine statute applies only to private employers. There is no statute governing public employers. And so the prevailing view is it's really more of a Fourth Amendment inquiry in terms of when can you reasonably subject a public employee to testing. A lot of the times from a practical standpoint, We recommend public employers follow a similar process to what the private statute sets out. 
So let's jump back to reasonable suspicion. That was one of the circumstances that you identified for employers conducting a drug test. And reasonable suspicion can mean different things to folks of reasonable minds. What does that mean under the terms of Iowa's statute? Yep. So it's signs of impairment is a lot of it. So, you know, if you see somebody, you know, slurred speech, red eyes, stumbling, those types of things that are observed, it can be a report of use or impairment from a credible source. Credible source is really the key word in that part of it. You know, it can't be third hand hearsay, can't be, you know, disgruntled ex-wife. There has to be, you know, something to it that actually provides credence to it abnormal or erratic behavior, or evidence of tampering with a test. And then you also talked about testing in the event of an accident. What are the rules surrounding testing with respect to workplace accidents? Yep, that one's clearly defined. So one, it can either be an estimate of property damage of $1,000, and that threshold hasn't been raised for a while, so that's pretty easy to get to. Or second has to be an OSHA recordable injury, so either missed days from work or medical treatment beyond first aid. And that can be for either the employee you want to test themselves or another employee. And the key issue that's received some litigation is this concept of an accident. So there is a case where, you know, employers who may have a policy that anytime you go see the doctor for a work-related injury, we're going to test. The Iowa Court of Appeals found that was a violation in the situation of a repetitive motion injury because there wasn't an actual accident or specific incident that caused the injury. And so they found post-accident testing was not authorized. And you also mentioned that there are some specific notice requirements with respect to testing or notices of failed drug tests. Walk us through what that looks like and how an employer complies with those requirements. They're really strict, especially for current employees. So a current employee, you have to give written notice. It's got to be sent certified return receipt requested. It has to identify you know, what the basis of the failed test was. It has to identify the MRO in the lab. It has to tell the employee they have seven days to request a retest of the remaining split sample. And then most importantly, the part that trips employers up, it has to provide the cost of that retest. And you know, for years, it's a little bit circular because the employers are like, well, if the employee gets to choose where to get it retested, how do we know what that cost is? So we can't put that in the letter. I think the way it's come down is, you know, the employer should put their cost. If you use their lab, put that in the letter. For pre-employment testings, prospective employees, it's a little bit different. They don't have the right to retest. And so the notice is really more limited to the fact that there was a positive test and the lab and MRO involved. And so hearing all of that, there are a lot of opportunities for missteps by well-intentioned employers trying to comply with this act. Are there any exceptions for good faith compliance if an employer tries but doesn't quite hit the mark on all of these requirements? There's really not. The, the courts have adopted a substantial compliance standard. So at least under the terms of that standard, there's a little bit of wiggle room if any exact technical requirement is missed. But that wiggle room is not much. So, for example, when we talk about the notice, there was a case about three years ago, I think, that addressed what substantial compliance with the notice requirements. The notice was sent certified, but not return receipt requested. And the employee admitted receiving it. So the court said, okay, not doing return receipt requested, but certified that the employee received, we'll say that substantial compliance. We'll cut you a pass on that employer. But the notice did not contain the cost of the test or the retest if the employee chose it. 
And the court found that did not meet substantial compliance. So it's a real fine line and it's not a lot of leeway given to employers. The only other places there is immunity to employers in the statute, but that's been construed to be only really for actions of third parties. So I think if, for example, a lab or an MRO makes a mistake, there might be a little bit more leeway for the employer, but that immunity does not apply to the employer's own actions in terms of deciding when to test, how to test, and the notices that are given. And you also mentioned unannounced or perhaps more random drug testing. What does that look like in practice? So the requirement is there has to be, you have to use like a computer program or random number generator. There can't just be an employer, you know, randomly picking who that is. And the key there is really establishing the pool. The statute gives three options, which are either all employees at a particular job site, all full-time active employees at a job site. So you can exclude part-time employees and those on leave or all safety sensitive employees at a particular job site. And there has been a little litigation over the safety sensitive component. I think the employer is given a little bit of discretion on that, but the key is it has to be based on the employee's actual duties, not just the location. And that came out of a warehouse case. There were employees who were on light duty who were, we'll say, put in a corner of the warehouse, you know, sorting small goods. I think it was actually cigarettes. And the employer treated them as safety sensitive because they're technically in a warehouse where there's forklifts and other things zooming around. But those employees were never out in that area and never exposed to that. And so the court found, no, they really weren't accurately portrayed as safety sensitive because their duties don't expose them to any safety risk. And how broad is that definition of safety-sensitive positions? I mean, can it encompass any employee who might have driving as a part of their job duties, even if it's limited? Yeah, I I think driving would qualify. It's really any job that exposes the employee or others to a safety risk, you know, personal injury or, or even environmental injury. And are those rules broadened for, let's say, employers in the healthcare industry where they may be having more direct contact with persons who are in a vulnerable position or incapacitated position, does that change the analysis of what is a safety sensitive position? I think, you know, it's not expressed in the statute, but I think it certainly would. I would think anyone involved, for example, in healthcare and patient care, I would be surprised if a court would not find that to be a safety sensitive position. So in light of all of these requirements and opportunities for missteps by employers, how can employers reduce the risk of litigation when conducting drug testing in Iowa with their employees? There's some common themes we find in some of the missteps, right? The Iowa case law is is littered with employers who have made mistakes. Maybe that's just the type of the case that happens to make it to appeal. But we've got 20 years of case law detailing some of the missteps employers have made. And just in my own experience, I think there are a few key areas to focus on. And one is obviously you got to make sure you have a compliant policy. And so I think it's important And it's got to be compliant for Iowa specific. Our rules are a little different. Two, you want to make sure you can prove that the employee has received the policy, whether that's through a a signed authorization of the policy itself or a handbook, because there are cases where when employees can test that, that alone can create a fact issue. Three, there's a requirement that someone give the employee a chance to explain a positive test result. For example, if they're taking a particular you know, prescription medication. I think that's best to come from the MRO, but it's making sure the MRO does that. 
and that they contact the employee before declaring a test positive. You know, we see that slip through the cracks sometimes. And then the last one is really just making sure you have your notice buttoned up, because I think that's really the area where the most mistakes have been made. And it's making sure it's certified, making sure it has the cost of that retest in there. Because I tell you that, you know, there's nothing more frustrating for an employer than having an employee that you know failed a drug test, really isn't disputing that they failed a drug test, but you've got to pay money to because you didn't send the letter certified or tell them they could get a retest. Absolutely. Now, how are Iowa's drug testing laws different from other states? We obviously, you and I both work with employers that are doing business in a variety of jurisdictions. I've got to believe that Iowa's laws are more restrictive than many jurisdictions that we may have employers doing business in. Can you talk us about those nuances? Yeah, I think the main thing is it is more comprehensive than the other ones I've seen. You know, other states, you know, some of them, they apply only maybe to work comp or unemployment or they're more process oriented. You know, if you're going to test, here's here's some of the process you have to follow. The unique part about Iowa is really how much it covers, right? It covers everything. You know, when you can test, what your policy has to say, how you test, how you inform employees of the positive test, and it provides, you know, a private right of action with attorney fee shifting. And so uh, the uniqueness, I think, is the breadth of coverage. And it, it generally follows the, the same concepts uh, you know, of other states in terms of reasonable suspicion. And, and a lot of it follows some of the DOT rules, but there are you know, little nuances that employers need to be aware of. And we know that many other states have legalized medical marijuana and recreational marijuana usage. Where does Iowa stand on that particular issue? So Iowa has, has legalized medical marijuana in some limited circumstances. However, the drug testing statute and, and even the medical marijuana statute explicitly untether that from drug testing. So Iowa employers can still drug test, can still test for marijuana. And even if the employee has a valid medical marijuana prescription, you can still take action based on a positive test. So there's really no protection in Iowa for medical marijuana users under the drug testing statute. And so really the same would apply, you know, even if an employee uses legally in another state, if they come back to Iowa and Iowa employer drug testing policy fail a test, you know, the employer can still enforce that. And that's a really interesting position by Iowa. How have they kind of correlated those concepts of legalizing medical marijuana, but still allowing employers to take action with respect to somebody who has a positive drug test? I suspect it was a compromise made to get the medical marijuana statute passed in, in terms of you know business interests wanting to make sure they could still enforce you know safety rules and at least for their private employers, if they want to keep their workplace drug free, that they still had the ability to do that. Well, Ben, this has been a fascinating discussion. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have today. But thanks for joining us on the program and for your time today. Oh, thank you so much. My pleasure. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you'd like to connect with Ben, you can click on his bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, you can search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance. 
the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Tara Singley. Thanks for listening.